Welcome back to the Raw Take for CEOs, where we tackle today's issues and how they impact your business. And this is hosted by me, Dan. And Steven. We'll give you our raw take on what's important for your business. Let's get started. Welcome to a new episode of the Raw Take for CEOs. And uh, today, September 8th, fall is right around the corner. This week was supposed to be the turning point, not just for the normalcy, bringing normalcy back to American society, but it was supposed to be the pivotal moment that the U.S. economy came into that recovery. Yeah, economists kind of predicted going back to school, kind of not needing as, parents not needing as much child care, to need to be home for child care, that, you know, companies would have to be starting back to the offices, kids would be going back to schools, restaurants would be more open, things would be back spots. to, quote, normal. Yeah, you know, the, the service-based industries would be serving the office workers. You know, September 2021 was, it's that uh, inflection point. Well, it, it, it is not going to be. I mean, uh, so last week, Corey and I, we touched on three things to kind of keep an eye on for. And uh, they're actually, it's, it's still like working its uh, way through. Uh, one was consumer behavior. You know, what's actually going to happen with the consumer? Consumer confidence was down. Spending was down, savings was up, business activity is one to look out for. We touched on working capital. You see a lot of talk about cars, the automotive industry, parking unfinished uh, cars in airport lots. Um, so you're seeing a sort of a, a buildup of uh, raw material inventory at companies. So definitely a squeeze on working capital and how that's ultimately going to play out. And then the third piece was really kids go back to school, right? That was always touted as one of the reasons why the unemployment lines were at 8.7 million. And of course, recently we're seeing job postings increasing. The unemployment line hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. To the tune of something like two, $2.5 million delta between the actual jobs that are open. People that are looking, people looking, for, are jobs. looking for jobs. Yeah, and I, th- I think, uh, you know, I've seen that customers, like they are able to hire more than they were three months ago. But at the same time, you know, we're not seeing a whole lot of change in, in the overall numbers. Renewed mask restrictions. The airlines, in the last few weeks, uh, the airlines have been warning that, uh, you know, we were all hoping business travel was going to come back. Uh, internally, we're looking at business travel, and but we're going to do it. But a lot of companies are pulling back. The job openings that are out there, I believe it was Indeed.com that puts out a monthly number. A lot of the the uh, increase in the job openings on Indeed are actually coming from home home based jobs. Right? Yeah, the jo- job postings were up 39% uh, at the end of August compared to February 2020. Compared to the Kind of this little bit right before the right before the pandemic, but mo- mostly it was driven by jobs that can be done from home, software development, sales, things that don't require you to be in person. Right, and so this goes back to last week's comment on the uh, LinkedIn Live. It wasn't so much on the podcast, but we touched on again con- consumer behavior and business activity, and all the news that's still coming out is all around those two pieces. There's a lot of uncertainty. With all this certain backdrop for businesses, it's going to delay any intent to make investments into the business, right? Bring employees back to the office. And of course, there's a trickle-down effect, right? Because our society is built around people commuting to work, whether you're walking to work or driving to work. Our society is really built around a workforce that is not home-based. And take it one step further, I think our career development 
is based around people being in the office. And, and we can argue about that all day long, but you think about the apprenticeship, right? We used to just be an apprenticeship, whether you're a, a lawyer or a doctor, right? Like it, you just spend time with an, another lawyer or a doctor and you learned it. Uh, down Now it's more like the, you think of the trades for the apprenticeship, but let's face it, like with even with knowledge-based work, you know, we see this with our own hires. What are you learning in those first few months, years? It's, it's maybe it's hard skills, but it's also the soft skills, right? How do you, how do you manage customers? How do you deal with customers? How do you set customer expectations? Those are things that are just accelerated if you're in person. Yeah, and, and not to bounce around, but you're right. Like I, I've said it over and over, part of my professional development was the opportunity to have been a fly on the wall in a very important meeting and just watching the characters, watching the people, uh, the discourse, the jockeying, right, the influencing, being able to observe, um, yeah, that, that's surely going to have an impact on hiring. Although there's, the jobs are out there, and I imagine that many of these jobs uh, that are home-based, they tend to be more technical-focused, maybe sales-oriented, mm -hmm. where you don't need some of that uh, career development, uh, softer skill, professional development. And so we're kind of going in this, uh, down this path. Over the course of the last year, we started this podcast as a way to talk openly, evangelize our way of looking at business, uh, financial management, capital raising, sort of the foundational elements of a business. You know, we're in our 40s. We've seen a lot. And um, we may not look it, uh, but we've seen a lot, we've experienced a lot. But we've actually started this really was to kind of talk to our customers. It was another way to, to you know, one voice to many. And what we're finding is some of our audience, are, they're actually not our customers persona. They're actually the people that surround our customers. Your CFOs, your accountants, your controllers, your CPAs your fractional CFOs, your other finances of service companies. And so as we're going through this process of generating content for the podcast, the content we create isn't just for the business owner. When we talk five or 10 minutes on the things that are, you know, driven by economics, policy, politics, society, like those are all things that you don't have to really just be a CEO to appreciate that and to enable that information to make better decisions. This is also for that bookkeeper. Mm -hmm. and, and part of the feedback we've gotten is, you know, the way that you guys look at the st annual strategic business cycle, that, that has been a framework of ours for five years. I mean, it comes out of like corporate, right? And that framework is not new, but that, I, that taking that and bringing that to the small business world and breaking that down, because that is the content that we deliver to CEOs, right? Is here's what you should be focused on this quarter, this month, this week. Um, it comes down to like what's happening in the world, but it's also in terms of like that annual calendar. Like right now, you should be thinking about your goal deployment planning, building out your long range plan in the next month or two so you can put your budget together. That is pretty basic stuff, but what we get, the feedback we get from the market, to your point, is I love the way you're looking at this. Like you look at this as a fin finance as a service. And that is, is unique in kind of the, the CAS world. Right. And we try to be practical about it. You're not going to get those conversations or meetings about core values, vision, mission. We don't feel like that's really our place. There are people that are better than us to help enable small, medium-sized businesses and startups. 
articulate, memorialize um, that component of the business strategy. What I love about what we do is the more practical executing, getting from point A to point B, the accounting, the financial planning analysis, the higher level financial strategy, and even throw in some of the tax, and wrapping that into the annual strategic business cycle, wrapping that into the monthly fiscal closes, tying those together, creating uh, accountability, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, why do you do actuals to budget? It's to understand, hey, here's the gap, or here's the opportunity, and what are you going to do about it? Because an opportunity, it's not a risk, but it, you can't really capture that opportunity if you don't have the capital. And you're not going to like, yeah, I'm not going to staff up for a million dollar contract unless I land that million dollar, or at least it's you know ninety percent likely that I'm going to land that contract. Because I, I, I love nothing more when someone says, but Dan, we're a growing company. We're not supposed to make money. It's like, okay, I can buy that. I can buy that you're making investments. It's not that you're not making money, you're, you're making gross profit, but you're making investments below the line to fuel the growth of the business in sales, acquisitions, etc. But you still need a fiscally responsible plan that articulates the liquidity needs of that opportunity. That's why you're not making money. It's not because you're growing, it's because your growth consumes capital which is very different than operating cash flow. So we talk a lot, you know, our audiences from day one has always been the market, the CEO, but the reality is we are talking to you, the fractional CFO, to you, the controller, the fractional controller, the bookkeeper, our peers in the market, and... Yeah, so we, we will be talking, uh, you will hear us talking both to the CEO and increasingly to our our peers, uh, because they do, they are listening to this, trying to get ideas about how they can best serve their market. And this is a market where, right now, like moving to an outsourced planning, right? Like that is a rising tide. So, like, so we are very open. And we always use our business as a a sandbox. We share our experience. Uh, you're just gonna hear us share that in a different way because we're we do want to talk to both you, the CEO, to help you run your business, and your the others around you, your table to help them help you manage and grow. And so. My soapbox in our sandbox is that we do believe that the accounting industry is completely broken. We do believe that a singular touch once a year, twice a year, does not really generate value for that business. We believe that constant value add, whether it is in bookkeeping to feed controllership to feed tighter numbers, more fiscal responsibility, generating planning, bring the planning back every month, comparing to actuals. The accounting industry has for years tried to develop this notion of like a CAS business. I don't know if it's called client accounting services or consulting advisories. Advisory. It's, it's this thing, a CAS business. But when you have an industry that is built on the foundation of compliance, whether it is audit, filing taxes. It's an industry that will, it is very difficult to revert back to something more basic, such as bookkeeping, accounting services, and never mind the dichotomy between public 
and inside financial management. There are two different things. The, just the individual, the type of skills, the character, the personalities, there's a big difference between someone who thinks in sort of very binary debits and credits and somebody who can deal with ambiguity, deal with things that are in the future that may or may not come to fruition. To boot, have a grasp on what those drivers of the value that is being generated in the future. Right. That's the, that's inherently, that's the difference between a CPA and a CFO. There is a big difference between a public accountant, CPA, tax accountant, and a CFO. And you're going to dive into some of that with CPA.com on the 29th. If you're interested, give us a shout. We'll give you the details on, on that, uh, that webinar. Um, but that's about, you know, what, kind of diving into this, like, what, how do you create a, a CAS business or a finance as a service business to serve the needs of, of uh, uh, small businesses, medium-sized businesses? And for you that are a small, small medium-sized business, probably help you understand, like, from your service providers, who do I need or what, what should I be looking for when I'm looking for people to help me on the compliance side versus the planning side? So on the 29th, that's what we're going to be talking about with CPA.com is so we talk about cadence, rigor, and the overall team. Those are really the three pillars of, I, you know, we believe in building a finance as a service business. And so we're going to be talking on the 29th about the types of people. And it's truly a dichotomy in how you recruit. If you're in a public accounting, recruiting for debits and credits versus recruiting for net present value looks very different. And so your whole recruiting, your whole HR systems need to look different. When we hire for accountants versus hiring for financial analysts, you can go on to Indeed, you can go on to Handshake. You, you can tell that the job postings look dramatically different different. It's like night and day. And therefore, they fit two very different personalities on the softer side. And then, of course, on the hard skill side, it's also very different. You know, a few months ago, we also talked to CP, we had another webinar with CPA.com on how to actually stand up a CAS, FAS business within a public accounting shop. We didn't talk as much about the people, but one of the, one of the key takeaways I, I try to tell folks is, it's got to be boring again. As boring as bookkeeping is, yet valuable, CAS has to be boring. Otherwise, CAS is just simply ad hoc management consulting. And that is very difficult to scale. That is very difficult to control. Um, and finally, it's, you know, it's difficult to sell, mm -hmm. uh, especially when you get sticker shock on those uh, billable hours. So the way we decided to build our CAS business, because there's only really two ways in business to make money. Either you leverage capital or you leverage people. So in order to leverage people, our goal has always been that 1 to 25, right? For every one hour I spend on, a, on, a, on the FAS department, our goal is to get 25 hours of people's time. And if you kind of begin to build the business around that strategy, one, two, focus on the cadence. That's the boring stuff, right? That's just like week in, week out, month in, month out. And then last piece is the productization, which is actually very difficult because you can't just go in and say, 
hey, on a monthly basis, we're just going to do budget to actuals. That's not enough value, right? A report could kind of tell me that. There has to be more to that. Um, and so figuring out how to tie back productization to the bigger picture. And that's that annual strategic business cycle that we talk about. Not everybody needs all of that stuff, right? right? But but they can use some of it. They can and use some of it, and creating they the right, need some of it. The right size product for the right, right bit or for the business. That's where that productization comes in because you can have a you know, light, medium, or large uh, engagement. And so, switching topics now, we're going to be talking a little bit about RevOps again. Two weeks ago, we had uh, Blake Oliver and us talking about the importance of digital marketing, especially in profession, professional uh, service businesses. And you know, Steve, to your point that. That's really about like leveraging the the business owner. You know, how do you make the whole operation more efficient? How do you get more qualified leads? How do you generate those leads? Um, all mm -hmm. online, online reputation. Like, how do you improve that? How do you make your B two B customer? How do you make them more comfortable in buying this very squishy service online? It's very easy to go to Amazon and like buy a you know a package of toilet paper. This is a very different. Uh, customer journey for sure for sure and so having Blake on two weeks ago last week we started to introduce our experience in RevOps and in preparing for this podcast we said okay now that you kind of listen to those two podcasts like what is what does an individual do next where should you focus like, like so let's just kind of recap RevOps uh, so last last week we kind of defined the different I'll call them buckets of RevOps. And RevOps is, I'll call it a new way of categorizing everything from your marketing, what generates your leads, all the way through getting those customers on board, signing a contract, and keeping them happy. All the, all the way from marketing through sales into customer success. And really marketing, where we talk about with Blake, is your uh, message to the market. And your market doesn't stop when they when they sign a contract with you. They, they are still consumers of your marketing. And it's part of like keeping the customers happy, keeping them engaged, keeping them, keeping them for the, uh, the lifetime of the customer. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Raw Take for CEOs. We wanna briefly interrupt this week's episode and talk a little bit about Growth Labs marketing services. To start, better marketing equals more leads. At Growth Lab, we bring great people and processes to your team. Our team's focus is 100% on helping you define and execute your marketing goals. At a lower price point, we add greater value than a typical marketing firm. We don't just tell you what needs to be done, we help you execute and provide you with the best information to ensure you make data-driven decisions. If you're interested in partnering with Growth Lab, give us a call or email us at contact at growthlabfinancial.com. Now back to this week's episode. So RevOps is marketing, generating that lead, sales, getting them qualified, and closing the deal, and the customer success. And so what I like about the holistic view of sales and marketing and customer success, it really brings these, what's normally three separate functions, it brings them all under one umbrella to make the process more efficient, improve its efficacy, it's feedback all, loops. It's all interrelated. And it's By all nature. very much interrelated. It's measurable. It's measurable. We start out, when you start out a business, it's just you. You know, you're, you're wearing all the hats, right? From, from marketing to sales to, to customer success to delivery. And as you, as you grow, 
you're able to articulate, you know, strengths, weaknesses, where, where, what you're good at, what you're not good at, and be able to articulate processes, articulate responsibilities to other, uh, other, other people. Good. So what next? So one of the things that, as we were talking about this, is you know, for a business owner out there, a CEO, where do they, where are they going to focus? Right? They, they are. They, we've introduced this idea of rev, rev ops. You know, they can translate that into your business. I think you know, a place we can go is some examples, right? But let, let's use some examples. But I want to help people understand where should I, where should I focus next? I can either focus time or money to uh, make rev, revenue operations more efficient and more effective. And this isn't, again, this isn't just for the CEO, because if I'm sitting back as the CFO or the financial analyst, and I'm trying to model out a five-year plan for my customer or for my management team, it's important to understand the metrics of growth in through the lens of or this framework of RevOps. If my goal is to achieve a 10% increase in revenue in year one, and that translates into say 50 customers or 100 customers and sort of in a normal cycle I can take say 100 leads that come in through marketing and then get my salespeople to go call all those leads I can only convert 10 so you kind of start doing the math that takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of salespeople and and, and that's kind of an easy that's not too hard to, to model right kind of whole numbers here. But what if you could tweak it? What if you could add a BDR to the mix so that the BDR is actually vetting these, vetting and scheduling, aka the hunt, right? The BDR is actually vetting and scheduling these marketing leads that are just coming inbound or it could even be cold calling, mm -hmm. cold outbound email outreach. And the BDR is scheduling and that alone because what is the job of a BDR? Yes, it is to book a meeting, but not really. It's to make it's, it's make, to, to make the account executive, which is often the business owner or the CFO or whoever it is, make their time more efficient. Right, but ultimately it's to kick out the nose kick out the before nose. the nose hit the salespeople. So now you're optimizing this system to make it more effective, but ultimately more efficient because. It's again, they're, they're, like we just described about building a CAS business, FAS business, it's about leveraging people. Well, building a RevOps team is the same thing. It's about leveraging people. Yeah, so a good place to start, uh, just to kind of recap that example, is you know, wh where are your bottlenecks, right? And you're putting a plan together, you realize that I want to grow by 10%. I don't have the people in my current setup to be able to push enough, even if I have a thousand leads, I don't have enough people to actually. Uh, manage the tr the conversion of them into into customers. You either need more account executives, or bring in a BDR and be able to uh, make the account executive that much more efficient and effective. Right, because otherwise you need to hire twice as many account executives, and account executives tend to be, at the end of the day, more expensive than entry level BDRs. So it's kind of a combination of like process mapping, identifying where your bottlenecks are as well as strengths and weaknesses of the current organization. You know, some of this is going to be you need to hire for other capabilities, right? Digital marketing. Maybe you don't excel in that. Maybe you don't have anything anything there. You need to kind of create that into somewhat of a core competency of the business so that you own your lead generation. That go back to our conversation with Blake. But can you jumpstart that by bringing in a, 
uh, a marketing consultant or something of that nature if that is a weak spot in your RevOps uh, program. So I'm a big fan of starting with, and this may be <clears throat> a little biased, I'm a, I'm a big fan of starting with digital marketing and content management because it is the low-hanging fruit and it is content that can be created by an early founder, a startup. Uh, it's content, I mean, if you're passionate about your industry, you can write about it all day long. Content management and content creation is truly low-hanging fruit, uh, and you don't have to always hire out. If you do need to hire out, I recommend a freelance copywriter who understands your industry. Start creating that content, and then as you build a library of that content, assuming you understand the piping of marketing, right, the, the foundation of uh, digital marketing, now you bring in, say, a social media analyst. Uh, you bring in a digital marketing analyst. Now you begin to build momentum on the inbound side. Obviously, you can't wait two or three years for inbound to create enough momentum. Surely, you all like all businesses, you start with boots on the ground, where the salesperson, not so cost-effective, because that salesperson requires a salary plus some level of compensation and bonus above and beyond that salary, and they're out there doing the hunting and the killing. So the key here is how do you optimize this system so that inbound marketing or outbound sales can generate enough leads? And these leads, it just can't be any like anybody off the street, right? It's got to be a marketing qualified lead. It's got to be in your box. It's got to be your persona. And you got to have enough of them. Handing them off to a BDR to qualify them as a marketing qualified opportunity so that an account executive, a salesperson, a business owner can actually spend the time with that individual confidently knowing that there's a high propensity that that individual is truly in the strike zone and is ready and willing to buy your services. Yeah. And for, you know, some, some of the uh, examples that we often reference in our conversations are our conversations with other, other service providers. What has that experience looked like? And because we've been on the receiving end of being part of, you know, uh, calling into somebody else's RevOps, right? And we've seen the benefit of them leveraging their people and so that I don't get to an account executive when I'm not really, I don't really want to spend time with an account executive. They don't want to spend their time with me. I just want some more information. And that, that process, when you see it on, on the receiving end, sometimes it's a little more eye-opening than when you're trying to push it to your, your prospect, your, your, your pipeline. And again, as I look at this through the lens of like our friends, the CFOs and controllers and bookkeepers who are working with business owners to plan out or capture this information, I would start with your accounting systems. Making sure that your accounting systems have a chart of accounts that delineates, allocates wages. Like that's a low-hanging fruit. And then from there, begin to align what these positions are. If you have account executives, salespeople, maybe they go into one bucket. If you have BDRs, they go into another bucket. And then, by the way, don't forget the corresponding bonus or commission program that goes with that particular chart of account. And then also the same thing with customer success. Maybe if customer success acts more like customer onboarding and acts a little more and feels more like a cost of goods sold, then I'd probably flip customer success, customer experience up to cost of goods sold, depending on your type of business. So starting off small, capturing RevOps, right, the data that you need, that's a great place to start. 
And then as you're planning and building out your, your annual operating plan, or better yet, your three-year plan, if you have a goal of increasing revenue by 50%, and 80 to 90% of your new revenue comes from new acquisitions, not organic, not upsell, right? Now you can begin to understand the dynamics, the throughput, the conversions. Yeah, do the, do the math, right? Doing the if, math. If this is the growth I want, I know that I close 25% of the deals I, that, that come in the door. Do the math. Go back to how many leads do I need? How many of those tr- convert to MQOs? How many of those need an account executive to jump on with them? How many of those close? Like, do the math backwards. Then it gives you your, your hiring plan so that you can hire, hire into that, re, uh, allocate resources appropriately. And make the shit up if you have to in the beginning. Just make the shit up. Mm-hmm. Just come up with numbers. Expectations. Start, I expect I'm going to close Start the equation, right? Start the process. You always go back during your actuals to budgets or when you're updating your, your uh, plan halfway through the year or you're doing monthly updates to your forecast. You can always go back and tweak that stuff. Just make the shit up. Nothing drives me more crazy than spending days and weeks kind of trying to f- capture information. Like sometimes you just don't know. You, you don't really know when you're starting something new like inbound marketing. Guys, it's like a black hole. So if I'm a CFO trying to model out this black hole, good friggin' luck. Just make this shit up. Try if, something. If leads are costing you CPCs at 10 bucks, 10, 15 bucks a pop on Google AdWords, and you know that for every 10 clicks, you get maybe one form signup, and usually for every five form signups, I actually get a BDR that books a books a schedule with an AE. And for every two or three bookings, I actually get a customer. It's just not that complicated. Yeah. It's practical. So, you know, again, talking to the CFO and talking to those that are around these management teams, trying to help them understand and decipher how do I get from point A to point B, go back to basics, keep the shit simple. It's and not that hard. And the other thing to uh, focus is look at your risks and opportunities. If you have a channel partner that's delivering 50% of your leads, that's great. That's a risk. What if that dries up? What if, it, what that, what if that gets saturated? What if that, that, that referral source channel partner gets acquired? And need, you know, That is a risk to your business. Make sure that you're planning, thinking about that, because that's another place that content can come in, right? It's not going to deliver on day one, but it's, it's multifaceted. It'll deliver in the long run. And it's also talking to your existing customers. When they see you out there in the market with content, being a thought leader, they're going to be that much more likely to rebuy from you. Yeah, I would say identify it as a risk so it doesn't become a blind spot, doesn't smack you over the head 12 months later, halfway through the year. You're not able to make your your numbers because your channel partner just walked away from you. But understand that as a risk. So during your goal deployment planning, as you're thinking about your goals for the next following year, you know, that should actually be one of your goals for the following year is how do I de-risk my channel partner? Well, one way to de-risk your channel partner is get more channel partners or take the destiny into your own hands. Yeah. The RevOps like framework is a is a, is a very is, is a strong one. I mean we we've been using it for the last four or five months uh, to articulate the interrelation between marketing, sales, and customer success, and it's it's helped it's helped us articulate uh, to our team how they how they relate, who's responsible, what are the metrics, 
Um, and where and where do we need to focus? Where do we need to focus next in the next three months? And where is where we're going to need to focus in twelve months? And ultimately, it's because one, trying to like not hold on to that vine, where you don't want to let go of business development, but it, you got to let go because you got to work on the business. And two, if you want to scale this thing, you can't be in every friggin' meeting, and you can't be vetting leads that truly are not marketing qualified opportunities. And I love using this framework of market leads, marketing qualified leads, marketing qualified opportunities, sales qualified opportunities. And I know there's a lot of ways to like skin this cat and everybody will have their own sort of uh, flavor. Customer success. Why did we bring customer success under RevOps? Well, one, it just friggin' makes sense because a lead, a customer journey doesn't end at the point of an engagement agreement being executed. And by the way, I'd say like 90% of all businesses, the customer journey does not end at that invoice or that engagement agreement. That customer, that customer journey, like it keeps going. Yeah, even if it's not a recurring service, they can they can buy from you again. And if you don't keep them in your world, if they're not part of who you're thinking about when you're putting content together, Service contracts, like upselling, maintenance contracts, coming back, that's all part of the customer experience. And so bringing customer success, sales, and marketing, and I would even add, you know, at the end of the day, that feedback loop between marketing and content management, content creation, that is the holy grail in all this. And this is fun because what I love about it is, one, everybody's one team, you've got one goal, you know what you get, you know what you can tweak right you know what the levers are between each stage and for a for a fractional CFO for a controller for somebody who's helping a management team execute like you can pretty much dummy this stuff down into numbers conversions ratios Damn. dollars and cents how much capital do i need next year to hire three BDOs, one salesperson, and be able to generate something to the tune of 10,000 contacts. Yeah. So with all that, the RevOps is not just for sales and marketing. It's not just for management teams. But a good CFO, a good financial analyst, truly has to understand the inputs and outputs, the moving pieces of revenue operations. It does... Revenue operations tend to cost businesses 10 to 20% of sales, especially, you know, depending where you are in the uh, in your uh, evolution. But the reality is to get from point A to point B, and if, if that means I want to scale, usually your biggest impediment to scaling is revenue operations. And so CFOs need to embrace this and understand how to model this out. It's a It's a... Again, a powerful framework that uh, does link all, all of that together with data, data and metrics. Cool. That was fun. I enjoy RevOps a lot. I'm kind of passionate about it. It is very much top of mind for us over the last year. You know, it is the last uh, sort of leg to, this, to our business development, sales and marketing stool. So, and um, looking forward to growing that team. Yeah, and you'll hear us talk more about it. As we said, you know, we, we're going to be talking to you, the CEOs. We're also going to be talking to our, our peers uh, because we uh, want to continue to educate the market. 
Yeah, and we actually spent the last month um, taking our observations internally and actually talking to some of our peers, uh, vendors, competitors, just kind of understanding how they're managing uh, RevOps. So this is, uh, it's exciting times. I think this is the wave of the future for business development. Digital marketing can be a core competency of your business. And if you can figure out the capability you need to manage and execute on RevOps, you can kill it. All right, guys, this was fun. Thanks. Join us next week. Okay, Steve, that was good. That's a wrap for this week's Raw Take. That was great. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week in the Raw Take for CEOs.